the realities of heaven. Daniel, just as a recap, he has just had an encounter with the angel Gabriel pointing toward the reality of Jesus returning one day. At this point, Daniel has had two visions, and he's been praying on behalf of the people because he really didn't understand the visions altogether. The visions for him were something to come, and if you remember, some of the scripture even said they're not for everyone to know at that time, which is kind of cool because we are at the place of getting to see these visions and understand their meaning. We see Daniel taking ownership and calling down the realities of heaven into the earth over the past few weeks, asking God for mercy and grace. And while he was praying and taking ownership of all the sins of the people, if you remember last week, he was praying on behalf of the sins of the people, and he wasn't saying, God, forgive them. He included himself because we understand that we are one. I think that's one thing the church needs to understand. It's not us and them. We are one, and we are praying on behalf of the whole. We are a remnant, a representative of what God wants to do in, the, in all the earth. And even though he doesn't understand this vision completely, it says he picked himself up and started performing his duties. He carried on and he started walking in the place he was called to walk. And I want to remind everyone that point because we don't need to stop just because we're believing for more. We need to walk in the midst of believing for more. A lot of times we, are, we, we have these prophetic words and dreams and visions. God's going to do this thing in the area, and God's going to do this thing in my family, and God's going to do this thing in the church. And oftentimes we sit and wait for God to do it instead of performing what we are called to perform right here and right now, believing that as we steward what we're called to do now, God will lead us into the word that he is declaring. In other words, just because God says there will be an outpouring, it doesn't mean we have a bunch of prayer meetings and just pray for outpouring. That's part of it. But we have to perform, if you will, our duties that we're called to perform. I think one, one thing that is an immature thing to do in the church is putting life on pause, believing for more, when we should be walking what we're called to do now, believing for more. What, what's the point of believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit if we don't perform the duty of discipling people into understanding who Holy Spirit is? You can't just expect for the more. You have to do what you're called to do in the midst of expectation. So Daniel is in this vein, and in Daniel chapter 10, he begins to have his final vision. He begins to have the final vision, and we see the beginning of it tonight. And in verses 1 through 3, it says this, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war, and great hardship. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. That's where we get 21 day fast from. All that time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until these three weeks had passed. Now, let me tell you a little bit of the circumstances going on. About this time, Daniel was what most scholars believe was around 84 years old or so. So he wasn't exactly young and, and, and you know, yeah, vibrant. He was, 
he, he was up in age. He was, he was a little tired. And as an 84-year-old man, he began to see something that the first wave of Jewish exiles were beginning to return to Jerusalem. They were beginning to return after King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon. We actually see this if you read the book of Ezra, that this whole Jews going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple has started to begin. God is stirring the hearts of priests and Levites and leaders of tribes to go to Jerusalem and build the temple. So even King Cyrus, who was the king at the time, he was taken um, from the, he brought articles taken from the temple of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was giving them back to the leaders in, while they were going back to Judah to put the temples back or, or put the uh, articles back where they belong. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had taken a few things out of the temple. He took silver and gold basins, silver and gold bowls, incense burners. Well, while the Jews were going back, King Cyrus was giving these things back to them to help restore the temple, to help restore what was going on. So there's a picture that the Jews are returning with Ezra from exile, but Daniel didn't go back with Ezra's exiles. Ezra was facing tremendous opposition, and Daniel, quite frankly, was just too old to go through it. Daniel was mourning because there were few Jews returning and they were facing tremendous opposition and he knew he couldn't go with them. You ever been in that moment where you know like, like you got loved ones facing battles and you know you can't fight it for them? That's kind of where Daniel's at right now. He, he, they're, they're going back, they're facing opposition, he can't go. But Daniel also knew that he could serve them better if he stayed where he was in a high position of government than to go with them to Jerusalem. Well, because of this, while the Jews were going back and he had to stay, he was sad. So the scriptures say he was in great mourning. This is the context of why Daniel was in mourning. He couldn't go, and he had a heart for his people that were going through tremendous opposition. And in this mourning, he decided, I'm not going to eat any food. I'm not going to eat meat. I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not even going to put on deodorant. Now, you know God's got to lead someone. He ain't putting no lotion on. He ain't getting the smells on. He ain't doing nothing. He was in a state of self-denial because of the circumstances. I think this is important to understand context because Daniel was not fasting to get something. He was fasting as reaction to the state of the nation. You see, a lot of times when we do this whole 21-day fast thing, it's we fast so we can get a breakthrough, and we base it off of this passage in Daniel. Daniel wasn't fasting to get anything. He was fasting as a reaction to the state of the nation. He was sad. In verse 2, and you don't have to throw it up, it says, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning. It wasn't I started to fast so I could get a vision. Or it wasn't I got a vision so I decided to fast. He was in a state of mourning for 21 days because he had a compassion for the hurting of the people, for the oppression of the people. He wasn't fasting 21 days for an answer. He was fasting in response to the status of a current reality. 
And I think too many times we've made fast about what can I get or I need an answer instead of I'm denying myself as a posture of worship in response to this reality that I'm facing. You may say that again. We fast for let me get an answer or a breakthrough instead of fasting as I'm denying myself as a posture of worship in response to this reality that I'm facing. Daniel was was fasting for one thing. He wanted to position himself to align with the realities of heaven instead of accepting mourning as a reality because of his earthly situation. There is a time to mourn, but there was never a time to stay in a state of mourning. Daniel was overcome with sadness because of what was going on. And in that state, he could have either stayed in his sadness, which can often turn into depression, anxiety, hurt, pain, waiting way too long on what God wants to do when the fact of the matter is God wanted to do it yesterday. Daniel didn't want to stay there. He said, I'm going to reposition myself With the reality of heaven, I want to reposition myself with a place that I cannot see instead of accepting the reality that I do see. So in order to walk in the reality of heavenly places, I'm going to realign and reposition. And the way he did it was by fasting. So fasting is not let me get an answer. Fasting is let me realign my reality. Fasting is to recalibrate your reality in a posture of worship because you're allowing yourself to hunger for him and letting the reality of his presence be the bread and wine that you need in your state of mourning. Matthew 4, 1 through, is this okay? Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and for 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Why was he fasting? He was fasting to increase his hunger of his flesh so that his spirit would be totally dependent on sustenance from his father. He was fasting so that he would be totally satisfied. He was fasting so that all of his satisfaction and sustenance came from father not appeasing his fleshly need. We're seeing a pattern in Scripture that the whole point of fasting is not I need an answer. It's I want to learn how to be totally satisfied by the realities of heaven right here and right now. So I deny myself so that I get satisfaction from heaven. All the enemy could do was tempt Jesus in earthly desires. Satan said, I'll give you food. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. Satan says, jump. God's going to protect you. He says, I'm not testing my father. Satan says, I'll give you the world if you serve me. And Jesus says, I serve him alone. He would only let one thing satisfy him, the father. Not to get an answer, but to be completely satisfied. You see, the answer is simply, I'm satisfied. And I'm not satisfied by I'm craving McDonald's today. I'm satisfied that I am one with my Father. 
So if you're ever at a place where you're seeking satisfaction, I would beg you, don't try to find an answer for satisfaction. Recalibrate your reality. Because if we are walking in heaven's reality, we have no need. So if you're in a place where you're depressed because you have need, I tell you, recalibrate your reality. Is it, are y'all chewing on this? Okay. Daniel was mourning for the conditions of the people in his day. And he was fasting to reposition his reality to be aligned with heaven. And when he got realigned, he started having vision. So in verse 4, it says, On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. Now, there are many debates about the scripture because about who this man was he saw. We know that Ezekiel saw angels in linen, so some think it's an angel. Some thinks it's Jesus because Daniel's description is very similar, similar to John's description of Jesus in Revelation. I actually think it's simply an angel, a messenger. And I think that because of stuff later on in the scripture, which I'll show you later on. Either way, we don't have to agree if it's an angel or Jesus because both were representing Jesus by simply giving the word from God. And the word from God is Jesus. The word became flesh. So even angels delivering the word, Jesus is present. Jesus is present in our everyday reality simply through the words that we should be speaking. His presence is word. So if you find that the presence of God is not in your house, it's not ask Jesus to come, it's change your word. Okay. Okay, what, what, what's interesting is that only Daniel saw the vision of the man and the men with him saw nothing, but they were suddenly afraid and they ran. You see, Daniel was seeing a reality of heaven and the men with him suddenly became afraid for no reason. They hid themselves because you can be in the presence of God and you've got two choices. Be vulnerable to submit to a new unknown thing or a heavenly reality or hide. When you're in the presence of God, two choices. Submit to a new reality of heaven or hide because it doesn't match what your religious thought of that the presence of God should be. And oftentimes we hide because we fear a new level of presence instead of being exposed to a new thing that we are to be realigning with. Because what's happened in church for so long is we've seen the presence of God look like this. So we simply find a recipe to keep replicating what this is. And before you know it, when God wants to do something new, you curse the new because it doesn't look like the old. In other words, you hide in what he looked like and won't embrace how he wants to present himself. We hide... In a system called religion, 
Because we have made something work where we experience God at one point. And the sad thing is we often think of religion as, as Baptist or Methodist as Catholic, but I think some of the most religious people are Pentecostals. When I hear crap like the only evidence of Holy Spirit is tongues, read Corinthians. I beg you not to even covet that gift is what Paul told the people because they were hiding in only one level of presence. Pentecostals can be some of the most religious people in the world. You can't be in the presence of God unless you've got an altar call. And an altar call can't simply be sitting in a seat. It's got to be coming up here and getting slain in the spirit and claws pulled over. If that, oh, if that ain't happening, it ain't spirit of God. Right? We, we, but we love to hide in what we've made normal. Instead of submitting to new realities that look a little different. Let me read this in Genesis 3, 8 through 10. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And many of us hear the Lord coming and we hide instead of desiring to be alive. It's interesting to point out they heard the father walking as the winds were blowing. Because with father was spirit hovering and Jesus was the word coming out of the father's mouth. We've been talking about Holy Spirit as wind blowing. We've been seeing that over and over in Daniel. So the scripture is saying that as the winds blew, or another way to say that, as the Holy Spirit revealed the presence of Father, we can either hide from the revealing of Father, we can hide from the revealing of Father in our religion, or align with a reality of heaven that we have never seen. Okay. When the Spirit reveals something new to experience that is contrary with current reality, the question is, is the posture of your heart and mind to align or hide into what's normal and comfortable? You can be so close to presence and power, but miss it because you're not aligned to want to be aligned with realities of heaven. Is the posture of your heart, I want to be aligned with a heavenly reality? In John 14, don't throw it up there yet, chill out. In John 14, it talks about, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want to push this passage theologically and show you something different. I haven't heard this before, so I'm really walking on faith right now. But I believe God has shown me something pretty cool. Throw up verse 1, John 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Leave this verse free up. 
When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Leave that up. Can someone make, go, go close that kid's church door, please? I don't know what's going on there. they too loud. they they praising Jesus way too loud. <laughs> now, we always use this scripture pointing toward the end times. Because it says, when everything's ready, I'll come and get you. So that you'll always be with me where I am. But what if there's more to this for a new reality here and now? Jesus' model of prayer is on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On the earth as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come. Let your government come. Let your reign come right now as it already is in a heavenly reality. So in Jesus' name, let there be a reality of heaven right here on the earth. This is where I want to push you a little bit. When he says, I will come and get you, what if he is referring to himself as he really is? Word. Jesus is the word that came as flesh. So when he says, I will come and get you, what if the coming is not the second coming? What if it's his word? When the room is ready, my word will call you so that you will be with me. Not just when I come back to fulfill all things, but in my Father's house there are many rooms. I will come back a second time when it's all done. But when there's a new reality for you to walk into, I will call you out with the word. My word will call to you to bring a new reality of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. What if the new rooms are accessible now instead of just one day? He says, I want you to be with me. To back it up even more, look at Ephesians 2.6. For he raised us from the dead with Christ and seated, not will seat, seated us with him in heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. We are, let, let, we are just as united with Jesus now as we will be in all eternity. So it's not, God, when are you coming back? It's when are you going to align your mind with the truth that we are already with him? I think the biggest crippling agent to the church is this whole theology of I can't wait for Jesus to come back so that we can go with him. He accomplished that the first time. He came. He saw. He kicked Satan's butt. Broke death, hell, and the grave. And then he, then he left. And the word he gave was you have been seated. You are united. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And his word is calling you into that place. So if we're seated with him and we're united with him now in a realm of heaven, 
then when his word calls you to a new thing, do you hide or do you realign? Is this too much? So the idea of fasting is no longer I'm fasting because I need a financial breakthrough or I'm fasting because I, I, no, I'm fasting because my current reality is not matching up with the true one. I need to realign where I understand that I am. And when you start to realign with where you truly are, you'll start to make decisions that look like where you're seated. If heaven is here and my house is going through A, B, and C, do A, B, and C look like heaven? If not, time to realign. And if I may, I think the church has become too dependent on deliverance ministries. Oh, okay. Let, let, let me go here. I believe in deliverance ministries. Let me say that. We have many people in this room who have walked through them, who do them, all that kind of thing. But we should be getting to a place where the church is not the ones needing it. I think it's an issue when all the deliverance ministry are delivering people in church. I get so tired. Oh, we got deliverance ministry. My church goes through it. Awesome. How many times have the same people gone through the same thing? Because is it working? And it's not, not working necessarily because of the people doing deliverance. It's the church has hidden in, let me get delivered. Let me get delivered. Let me get. You have been. Realign. Is that, is, that too, is that too much? I don't care if it is, but that's where it, we, we, we've got to start to realign with the reality that heaven is here. And if I'm not experienced perfect peace, it's not because God hasn't done his job or God needs to come now. He has come realign with truth that there is perfect peace, that there is no anxiety, that there is no depression. There is no need among the people. That's, what, that's where it was in Acts 2. They were in such a posture of worship in the upper room, they walked into a reality of heaven in the Acts church. That reality was there was no need among them. I do not want to throw all of our resources in feeding the homeless if there is still need among us. Not that I don't care. I want to reach them. But we should be reaching them from a place of full. And that's where the disconnect has been. We hide in ministry. Because if we can become consumed with serve, pour out, serve, pour out, you don't take notice that nothing's been pouring into you or you haven't aligned with the truth that you're actually full and don't need anything poured into. Think about what Peter did. He served, and every time he served, he went back in the presence of God and says he got filled up again. You know what he was doing? Realigning his reality. Because when you go out and serve the world, the reality of heaven shifts like that, and you start to agree with the reality that you should not be agreeing with. You start, to, you start to have a heart for, man, people are lost, people are hurting, this world is horrible. You start to become enamored in the reality of the place we're trying to reach. So he says, go get filled up again. What is getting filled up? Realign with the reality of heaven that you have no need so that you can be more positioned to go serve their need. 
We're seated with him in heavenly realms. We're united with him. The rooms are accessible. His word may call you out of sickness into healing. But religious mindsets cause you to hide in sickness and actually hiding in prayer. Because what we'll do is we don't like to align with the reality that we can be totally healed. So we'll hide in I go to get prayer over the same thing every weekend. Nothing wrong with prayer. But what is the position of your heart? What is the position of your mind? Are you aligned with the idea that I need prayer? Or could you be aligned with the idea that I have no need? I think we've made prayer all about my needs and my wants and my desires. What if prayer became simply, I love talking to daddy? What if prayer simply became, I want to have a conversation with my father and tell him how much I love him? And out of that alignment, he actually tells you how to pray for a specific thing because you're no longer coming to him in need. You're coming to him from a posture of fullness. It's kind of like the scripture that says, don't use vain repetitions in your prayer. Because for some reason we think if we pray over the same thing 25 times, it moves God more. Who are you trying to convince, God or you? So what if instead of, God, do this in my house, God, do this in my house, God, do this in my house, God, I just want to tell you how good you are. I want to tell you how great you are. I want to tell you that I believe that heaven is all around me. Then all of a sudden God gives you like this really weird word, like go fix him a meal. Go rake the yard. And you're like, well, God, I've been praying for restoration of my house. And he's like, well, then why are you hiding from my answer? And you do something that doesn't make sense, but God knows the situation much better than you do, which is why you're failing at the situation. So, so, so he teaches us things like, like, like you want to how to be great? Become the least and serve. But when he tells you that, that's not what you were asking for, and maybe it's not the, the, what you were asking for was actually out of alignment altogether. <laughs> like, like, we'll always ask God, Lord, pour your spirit out and, and give, bless me and do this, and then when he teaches you about stewardship, you come up with every reason as to why God's not answering your prayer when he's simply answering by saying steward. It, it, <laughs> Realities of heaven. If it's done and it's finished, it's done and it's finished. So let me come to you in a posture of it's done and finished, not convincing God to finish it. It's, okay. Look what happens in verses 8 through 9. Daniel says, so I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. Because remember, the rest of them felt the presence of God, and they ran. Hashtag most churches. <laughs> my strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt weak. Well, hold on now. You're telling me that he was in the presence of God, and this was his reaction? 
Because in the church, it's presence of God. It's just, oh, happiness. What was going on? He was entering into reality of heaven that caused his flesh to say, mm 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 Let me say that again. He was experiencing a state of heaven that caused his dying flesh to want to reject it. Y'all never heard this fasting chapter taught like this, have you? I haven't either. It's crazy. God's good. Look at verse 9. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the voice, the sound of his voice, I fainted. And I laid there with my face to the ground. I don't know about you, but like I kind of want a new reality that's going to make my stomach crawl. Because in that moment, you're going to find out who's going to hide and who's going to say what you want to do. Is this... Okay, because we've seen, we've seen amazing signs and wonders and miracles in this house. But if we want new reality, we've got to be willing to be offended by our current one. So Daniel, even though he was a seeker in relationship with God, he was undone by this vision. Because he got a glimpse of a new room reality. No matter how great you are, there is always a new room and a new reality of heaven. When Paul was speaking of the thorn in his side, this is how the Lord responded in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. And then Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Why is it that when I am weak, he is strong? Because weakness postures you to depend on God Because you need dependence to walk into new room realities of heaven. When you're weak, I am strong. You have to depend on his strength to walk into a new room. So my strength comes from depending on him to lead in a reality that my natural will fear. And because... My natural fears, I will naturally reject heavenly realities. Let me say it another way. If we never get surprised by the outpouring of Holy Spirit, we have to really ask, is it truly his outpouring? Because a new level will offend us to some degree. And I'm literally starting to pray, God, offend the the crap out of me. Offend my spirit. I want to walk into a new level. I want to walk into a new reality. So show me, even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it makes my flesh turn like Daniel. And when my flesh starts to turn and I start to feel like this this is just overwhelming, instead of standing up and looking at God and saying, what are you doing? I do what Daniel does and get on my face, humble before him saying, what would you have of me? That's That's getting into new room realities. That's true fasting. Lord, I don't know what this is, so I'm doing without until I'm totally satisfied by you. Look what happens in verse 10. It says, a hand touched me and lifted me. And this is when Daniel was on the ground, hurting, in pain, scared, but he didn't hide. 
We are to fear the Lord. So we can either fear in a posture of humility or fear in a posture of I hide. So, still trembling, to my hands and knees, verse 11, and the man said to me, Daniel, you're very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. Daniel, submitted in weakness to a new reality, was touched and called precious. The Spirit of God was assuring Daniel, you are so precious, so listen to me. God has called us and presented us as holy, blameless, without fault, spotless. So when God calls you, he calls you, not your current reality. So that your current reality will align with true you. And oftentimes God will call you to do something and our response is, I'm not ready. That is the place where you need to be of fear and trembling before him. Because if God is calling you by his word, he's calling you to a new room of heaven reality in your life. And it won't look natural, and you won't think you're ready. So those are actually signs that you're in a good place. Because instead of hiding, well, you can hide, and I'm not ready. Or you can submit to say, God, what, do what you want to do in this position of fear. Because oftentimes, God's going to call you into a new reality, and we all have one of two things. I can't do it. You don't know where my walk is. I haven't been to church in 10 years. God, you don't want me to do this. God, you don't know my, Kyle, you don't know my personal life. I'm not the one calling you out. If he puts a demand on you, your convincing him you're not ready is actually simply you doing what Adam and Eve did when the spirit blew. The spirit revealed the presence of the father, and instead of submitting and saying, what would you have of me, you hide. You hide and I'm not ready. You hide and I'm not worthy, even though God has already called you worthy. So what you're really doing is rejecting a new room reality. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Notice as Daniel was on the ground in humility, it was a touch that lifted him to his hands and knees. And then he stood up. You know what James 4.10 says? It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. When you humble yourself before God, he not only will lift you up, but he does it with honor. Why? Because he lifts you up for a particular purpose. But oftentimes you won't find that purpose because you hide instead of going face down. You see, we've been taught that uncomfortability is a sign that it's not God. But what if being uncomfortable is actually the biggest sign? Because new realities and new rooms should not be your natural. It's dangerous to just stay good at the thing you do and never be pushed. Would you agree? How do you build muscle? You put strain on them. 
You lift more. You tear them apart to rebuild them. I believe that's what God wants to do to, to the church. Let me tear apart your reality to where you are so fearful of anything outside of me that you have to depend. Why has the church not moved forward? Because we're comfortable in what we know how to do. And we don't have enough faith to walk into new rooms that no one knows what they look like. Hence the need for the modern day apostolic function. Hence the need for the prophetic function. Let me declare what God wants to do so that the apostolic function takes us to a place where no one has experienced. And it's not apostolic to start a church that is the same as every church. It's not apostolic to, we're doing a new move of God, but you're not willing to offend current realities. There's a reason why the most famous apostles in the world were 12 men that in that day people thought were crazy and they rejected them. But look what has been done because of their faith. I believe that's the day we're in with Relentless. There's things coming out of the pulpit. There's things coming out of this ministry. There are things that we're walking into that does not look normal. And for a while, it was rejected. And now people are starting to go, hmm? And it's not because we're putting stuff on billboards. It's because there's fires igniting across the city, and no one knows why they started. I want you, can I bring some, like, look, look, I was thinking about this today in this message. Think about what this house is doing. You know, we're going to be opening a coffee shop around September 16th as the projected date. We're creating jobs for people, a church, and the job is not pastoral. We're putting hope in people's minds. We're showing people how to walk in realities of heaven. We're seeing people get out of wheelchairs. We're seeing cancer disappear after they found the cancer. Marriage is being healed. All these things. And it's not because we're having the latest seminar or the latest conference. It's because we're understanding that we need to walk into new rooms and we're trusting each other to walk. That's apostolic. You see, see the, the idea of new realities of heaven is that there's something that God wants us to walk into. And when I say us, I mean the church of this area. And there has to be... <coughs> a steering ship to go into it so that they will experience it. And the worst thing we could ever do as, as a house is take pride in, look what we're doing and what they're not. The reason we're doing it is so that they can get it. Humble yourselves. Lord, we will take the punches so that the Baptist church never has to. Right? We, we will take the bad reputation so that the other house doesn't have to. If Jesus did it, why can't we? <laughs> I, I never do this, but I'm going to, and I hope I get forgiven. 
I really do never do this, but last weekend we had a summer party at Tom Triplett, right? And, and uh, we, 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 we didn't do anything church except for church. We broke bread together. We had relationship with each other. We, sweat, we sweated a lot of sweat. And there was someone there working that said, I'm going to sweat with you. And they're here tonight in the back row. And it wasn't because they heard a great message. It's because they saw it. I think. <laughs> that he, they're smiling, giving me a wave like I can talk about this. That, that, that's, the, that's the point is that we should be in a, in a new reality that, that, that is so changing that when we go to the park, the park becomes heaven. And people go, oh, I, what, what, what is, what, th- this isn't like a birthday party. What is this? Like, what, what, what is this kind of celebration? And, and it's like, well, let, let me get in on that. that that's, where, that's, that's what God is taking us into. I really believe that people are going to come and store Coffee Co. And uh, what's, what's different about this coffee shop? And they're going to start asking, is it the coffee? Is it the, the paint colors? Is it the staff? They don't understand that when they entered in this coffee shop, they're having coffee in heaven. Like, is, is, that, is, that, is that too much or is, is, that okay? is, that, is that okay? Is that okay? Right? <laughs> okay. Um, where was I? That was not in my message at all. Yeah. So he was humbling himself before God. Physically, totally stomach turning, didn't know what to do. And he, and he says, stand up. He lifts him up. And in verse 12, it says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I've come in answer to your prayer. Daniel humbled himself in the notion that he did not understand. Think about that for a second. He didn't understand what was going on. He was mourning. He was humbling himself. See, we tend to doubt and disregard when we don't understand instead of humbling ourselves to the notion that we may not know. And the reason I don't understand because it's a new room that has never been given understanding. And we... <laughs> And when we get in that posture, an answer is sent to reveal new realities. And that's why the angel says, oh, we we heard your prayers on day one. It hasn't taken us 21 days to hear. And we say things like, is God hearing my prayers? Because you'll pray the same thing for 10 years and you'll never see provision? Has anyone been there? Like, I'm praying for this thing. Why haven't I seen it? We're about to see in this passage exactly what's going on. It says in 13, for 21 days, and what's the fast? There's 21-day fast, three weeks in the morning. For 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. That lets you know it's not Jesus. Jesus don't need no help. Came to help me, I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So for 21 days, 
The spirit prince of Persia, the spirit of the region, opposed truth. Prince literally means ruler or authority in this passage. So the answer from heaven was blocked by an authority of the region. So to war in prayer is not begging for an answer. It's to agree that truth and answers are given and we let the authority of our belief bring down the answers of a heavenly reality through war that we cannot see. When you understand who you are in Christ, the moment you give a request, God answers. The battle is not convincing God to answer your prayer. The battle is getting the answer to break through authorities of the region. Daniel was praying for understanding. He was mourning. He was trying to realign his reality. And the angel says, God heard your prayers on day one, so we've been fighting like crazy to get this answer to you. Do you understand what you do when you go into war by prayer? You're believing for an answer that's trying to break through into your reality. Not will God answer. It's been answered. Bring it down. And it happened to take 21 days. What does religion do? Hide in a formula. If you pray for 21 days, you'll get an answer. No. Sometimes it's three. Sometimes it's 38. Sometimes it's 365. But you're not praying trying to get an answer. You're praying to see the answer that's already been given. So you wore provision from heaven to earth through false authority dominions. So it's not, why isn't God answering me? It's, are you agreeing with an unseen reality? The unseen reality is that there is an answer to what you've asked for. You war that it breaks through, not that God will answer. He answered, bring it down. And part of that warring is not just praying every day. It's faith. I walk by faith, not by sight, because by my sight, God hasn't answered. Second Corinthians 4.18, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be soon gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. In other words, look to the truth of an unseen heavenly reality that will last and take the place of your seen reality that was never meant to be. Because your seen reality could be, I don't have a relationship with my kids. But that's not heavenly reality. Your seen reality could, it's, you are believing for a reality of heaven to take the place of the reality that you're seeing. So you go to war for an answer that has been given to break through. It's not, 
you know, God, why isn't the church growing? It's God, there's a way for the church to grow. So we will war by walking in faith. And it takes faith to walk into new rooms that no church has walked into. I believe when this house started to get that small idea is when we started to see what God's doing. And there's so much more to do. So so it's it's not just we have prayer and intercession on Mondays or prayer and intercession before, before the gatherings on Saturdays because it's something we should do. It's we're walking according to a new reality that is somewhere to be seen. So maybe instead of complaining about the nuances of this world, maybe we should take joy that the answer to their confusion is already there somewhere. Because we love to highlight the sins of the nation. But we never love to highlight the answer to the nation's issues. And you know where it is? It's in us. Will we walk according to that? I've been saying it for a few weeks, but I'm going to say it again. Do we complain about a homosexual spirit everywhere? Or do I look forward to a reality that these confused men and women will see who they truly are? And even if they made a choice to align their flesh in a wrong way, there can still be a restoration that their soul and spirit realigns. And we won't judge them for making a fleshly decision that's wrong. See, it's hard to think about that. Because we claim we walk by spirit, but we still love to regard people by the flesh. Michael comes to help. You see, the thing is, God is going to send provision to get get an answer when you focus on true realities. The fact of the matter is, there is more for us and against us in every way. Only a third of of the angels fell. You ever notice in church, we love to highlight demons operating, but never angels that are present? As if there's more demons than angels? Or even if there were no angels, as if demons are more powerful than the king we sit up under? What reality are we really giving truth to? Darkness or light? Oh, there's such a stronghold over this area. What if we need to start walking in the... No, 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 there's no stronghold. Well, well, there is a stronghold, Kyle. I, I get that, but, but I want to walk into a new room so that the current stronghold has to obey to an unseen reality. So I'm not going to complain about what's over Savannah. I'm going to start declaring that Savannah is already in a new place. Because if he sends his word, so will I. So I'm not going to say there's a dark cloud over Savannah and there's a demonic presence over Savannah and Savannah is full of witchcraft. I'm going to say Savannah is the most lit city in the world. 
And when I say lit, I mean like Holy Ghost light lit. <laughs> I'm going to declare that there is no demonic stronghold in this area because I see a reality of Savannah submitted to a king. And I will walk according to that. So when I'm dealing with someone who looks like Satan, I'm going to treat them as if they are light because that will expose their ignorance. Okay. Verse 15, while he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. And then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth, and I began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I've seen. My Lord, I'm very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. And then the one who looked like a man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid. He said, you're very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. And as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger. And said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. Daniel looked down again, and he says he's filled with anguish. You know, the Hebrew word for anguish here literally means twisting pain. It's actually the same word used to describe childbirth in the Old Testament. The new reality he was experiencing caused to have pains likened to childbirth. And instead of staying in this position of just totally weak, when he submitted to the, wor the, the, the word of the Lord speaking to a real reality, now you're strong, you're good. His physical body started to align with truth that he couldn't see and he couldn't experience. Remember, he says he looked up and he saw a man dressed in linen clothing with the belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face was like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze. His voice roared like a vast multitude of people. And yet we try to make the church appeasing to our wants instead of inviting heavenly realities that offend our mind and offend our natural I want to walk into reality that offends, that offends every part of my natural. And you know the great thing about God is that when that happens, the people that don't want to go there won't stay. Well, you want people to go? No. It's a natural thing because people that don't look like heaven can't stay in heaven. So, when we, when we see crazy miracles, like a woman getting out of a wheelchair, there's going to be two responses. Praise God, let's go to this new reality, or that's fake. I ain't staying. Right? When we see a new reality of the dead rising from the grave in America, there are those that's going to say, let's go. And there's those that's going to say, let's go. <laughs> and no one's going to be able to explain either or, except for one thing. It's submission to a new reality 
or hiding in a comfortable old one. And to go into that new reality, we've got to do things that look a little different. We've got to walk in a way that seems opposite. If we're truly called to be an apostolic house, we have to be willing to walk into rooms that no one have walked into. The angel tells Daniel, Daniel, you're precious. Be encouraged. Be strong. And he was strengthened by a word. The word of God. And when he relied on the strength from God, the angel began to introduce the final vision. And the last two verses of Daniel 10 and the first one of Daniel 11, it says this. He replied, do you know why I've come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I'll tell you what's written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. Verse 1 of Daniel 11. I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. How did he introduce it? He says, I'm telling you the truth so that you can hold to it while we fight in an unseen realm so that you can pull down the reality we're fighting for. The fact of the matter is, y'all, God's fighting for us. He has created angels to war on our behalf for one purpose, exercise the authority that's been granted to us by our King Jesus. We've made the realities of the demonic and strongholds and dark powers that be and all this stuff, we made them so strong because we love to hide in our naturals. But the fact of the matter is, God says, I have sent helpers to war in unseen places for one purpose. You exercise the authority that I bought back for you. I told you, and Jesus speaking, he says, you're going to do greater things than I ever did on this earth. You're going to see the dead rise from the grave. You're going to see lepers cleanse. In other words, you're going to see disease fall off. You're going to see the sick heal. You're going to see people come to know me. He said, you are going to do all this. So let us fight a fight that you can't see. But the only way our fight will do anything is if you exercise your authority by walking into a new reality that you are quite frankly scared to walk into. Do you realize that he has created all that for one purpose? For you and I to walk as sons and daughters. I heard a teaching on what it means to be adopted sons and daughters. Because our version of adopted means you're brought into a family that you were never a part of. You know what the ancient word for adopted means when it says you are adopted sons and daughters? It simply means you are now mature. And the maturity simply means this. You're ready to walk. Now, a Calvinist would say only certain ones are adopted. A, a, a theological religious view would say only certain ones are destined. But here's the truth of it. We're all sons and daughters. Now, who will walk as mature? What is mature? We'll walk in new rooms. What is mature? You won't let your fleshly reality dictate where you can or can't go. What is mature? When you're scared to death, you'll bow and not hide. But you're still scared to death. Brings a whole new meaning to fear the Lord. Because we always talk about how fear of the Lord is reverence. But I think sometimes fear of the Lord is, God, what are you doing right now? I'm scared to death. And he's like, that's so good. 
You should be. I, I hope this house can be a house where God, whatever the room looks like, whatever the reality looks like, we want to go there. So, tear apart our reality. This is going to be a little bit of a scary prayer, but God scared the mess out of me so that I can go where you want me to go. Offend my reality. There's an answer. There's a solution. And it's trying to get here. It doesn't depend on the angels. It depends on us. So let's start walking in realities of heaven. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? Come on.